The theme for the evening talk is Self and Freedom. Probably most of us are here and read the newspapers uh, regularly, hopefully not too regularly, and various bits of information are uh, pointed out to us, which registers in some way or other uh, with us. And there's an enormous interest in opinion polls and people being stopped on the streets and asked what their experience uh, is. And perhaps sometimes people who ask for their experiences uh, uh, on the streets do, um, do have at least uh, once in a lifetime some opportunity to talk about what their experience is even if it's a person holding uh, a piece of card with some question and answers on it who is completely disinterested. And some of the figures that which were emerging in Britain recently, I think in any thoughtful circles, would send some kind of alarm. And one is that 80% of women would be out of their job if they couldn't. They really, if they had the opportunity financially uh, and to do, some, or to do some other kind of work, they would be out of the work that they do, 80%. More than a third of the men who were uh, interviewed uh, said that at work they felt regularly, they felt depressed. Not unhappy, they felt depressed. Whether the figures are any different here and you're all as happy as can be, not sure. But certainly, as a Western culture and, envi and environment, just hearing that kind of uh, uh, inf information you know, sets a concern. I remember once coming here uh, years ago, and some of you will have these uh, elections uh, on your mind with Mr. whatever his name is, Mr. Bush and Mr. Gore. But of course, you will all be voting for Ralph Nader and the Green Party, I know. And, and in one of the flights uh, over, uh, over here, the uh, pilot British, of course, said, uh, thank you for flying with uh, British Airways. You have now arrived at Logan International Airport. You have now completed the safest part of your journey. <laughs> for which the poor old British tourists gulped there and wondering what, the, what kind of war zone they were entering into here. And then one gets another little piece of information and, and that piece of information is that every time we cross the Atlantic, meaning five or six hour uh, flight, it's the equivalent of one chest x-ray. And then we think, well, maybe it's, the flight is just as bad as the arrival of this. And therefore, women, particularly the flight attendants who fly to and fro in planes all the time, are especially vulnerable. And, and the breast cancer rate for flight attendants is twice as high as in other professions, etc., etc. So all this information comes to you and I day in and uh, 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 day out through through the various forms of media and literature available, it, it, it lands. It makes an impact 
uh, on us. And accumulatively, let alone with the stress and pressures of our, of our day, uh, daily life, it gathers very slowly, I feel, and mobilizes itself, and it kind of lands on the self. And when we're living day in, day out, and consistently absorbing painful impressions, difficult impressions, the more and more it begins to glue and stick around the feeling of I and my. And we hardly realize how much we're caught up in this consistently. And one only has to go and uh, watch the television and, and see the movies uh, and other uh, activities and sometimes forgetting that all of that is having an impact on the mental life on the emotional life, on the inner life, and on the self. And the purpose of all that, those forms of entertainment, of course, is to make an impact, but that impact is forms impressions, and those pressions sometimes upset, sometimes angry, sometimes fearful, sometimes contracted, all keep coming in, keep passing through eyes and ears, keep being absorbed inwardly, and it's all having a terrifying impact on the inner life. And people do engage in all, all of this in the, in the name of entertainment. And though at the particular level it's probably relatively harmless and uh, uh, so forth, but it's not at the individual level that we're talking about. We're talking about a systematic, gradual accumulation of impressions of life into the inner uh, life which generates a very unhealthy, unwelcome, and utterly unsatisfactory impact. Yet, there's a, a pull and attraction uh, uh, towards that. Just uh, before coming here, I don't go to the cinema uh, very often. Um, mentioned it to a member last year or two, um, twice in the last uh, ten years. That was once too often. And so my uh, daughter said to me some uh, months ago, I've just been to see a film, movie you call it, just been to see a film, Dad, but he, she said, it's your kind of film. So I said, what's it, what's it called? She said, it's called The Matrix. So a few days ago... <laughs> And I said, well, what do you mean it's my kind of film? She said, well, it's, you know, it's kind of what you're involved in. So, so I had no idea, obviously, what Ursie was talking about. So in Totnes a few days ago, uh, Nina and I went to the... got a video out called The Matrix. Well, I only fell asleep once sitting there and uh, watching it. And the only thing that I can remember from this uh, uh, film was a rather a good one-liner. One guy says to the other, free your mind. That's the only thing I can remember, free your mind. <laughs> and the rest was people jumping up in the air, kicking each other. 
it didn't seem to have much correspondence with walking meditation, I have to say. But anyway. <laughs> so sometimes, here's the world of impressions which are going on. They make an impact uh, on us in particularly no harm. Accumulatively to be vigilant. And, and I think sometimes the world of impressions through uh, the unrealities of things, the matrix of existence, we want to call it like that, and actual situations which are problematic and difficult in our life, that it's one heart, one mind, one set of feelings, one inner existence, and they easily collide and collude together. As human beings, we're such vulnerable and sensitive creatures. Organic life is a very sensitive system uh, and vulnerable system in, in itself. And sometimes, in all, all of that, what seems to occur is that the impressions begin to dominate the life and the impressions that we have about ourselves, about other people, as I say, consolidate together. And we might need to ask ourselves, in our situation of our existence, am I living in the real world? Do I know what it is? Am I actually experiencing the real world? Or is it I live in a mess and a mass of daily impressions? And I think the impressions is the reality. Sometimes we can notice this in our experience very simply and very clearly. One of the actualities of not being trapped in impressions is the qualitative sense and feeling of I. If you and I are not burdened in a moment, in our successive moments, in a weight of problems or a weight of personal issues, and therefore not caught up in all the impressions about what happened, what is happening, and what might happen in the future. The feeling and the sense of I in moments without the weight of impressions actually is quite light. It's quite light. And sometimes we actually experience quite naturally a certain sense of lightness, not a spacey, daydreamy, uh, disconnected one, but one which is barely and simply and effectively, quietly in touch with things, and we're not caught up in, in impressions, inwardly or outwardly, and there's a certain quality to it which is quite light. And this feeling and the sense of I, in those moments and times, seems quite naturally, as it were, absorbed into the moment. Sometimes, as one person was referring to in a small, uh, one of the small groups uh, today, one can get an impression, easily and understandably, but an imp impression about everything focuses on technique. Everything focuses here on the method. So one starts meditating. You hear daily the instructions from us. And in hearing the instructions, says, oh, I've got to get the method right. And when we're very much preoccupied with method in life, 
we're also going to be preoccupied with trying to get to result. Because we see the method as the means to that. Method is not that important. We are learning to be at ease with existence. That's all. Find out what it is to be really at ease with life. And the process of the meditation is intended to be a real contribution at that, because we're not at ease with our life, we're not at ease with uh, 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 existence, and it shows itself in the impact and the dominating influence of living in impressions. The East, in traditions, Buddhist tradition, particularly Vedanta tradition especially, has looked, in, looked into all of this significantly. And the word for um, this activity that, that, that goes on, all this mental activity and proliferation is called papancha, P-A-P-A-N-C-A, pronounced papancha. And what that means is, in what's going on around and what's going on inwardly, there's a movement that goes together and the papancha is all the views, the projections, the interpretations, the I, the me, the my, that keeps arising and sometimes it keeps arising and there is so much going on in the mind, the mind cannot contain it. Shall I do this? Shall I do that? So many various issues that are going on in the mind and it generates a tremendous storm of inner pressure. And some of you have been reporting and experiencing this. Essentially, too much going on in one's life. How can one sort it all out? When issues of past and present and future and money and jobs and study and debts and relationships and visa cards and what am and what shops should I buy this from and how do I pay for this and where do I go from here? It just goes and goes. How are we going to sort it all out? We're not living very well. So naturally, understandably in, in all of this, when things accumulate, they land on the self. When it gets heavy, one feels low. When there's when a weight to all those impressions, one feels depressed. And that impacts on our life and it affects everything. And we know too, we only have to have one, as it were, major issue going on in our life, which is generating some worry or anxiety. And it's not just it goes to that, the shadow of that, the impact of that, begins to spill over into other areas. And so one problem is arising, when it's large, it's difficult to, de to deal with, but it moves itself so that when we look at something else, we look at that as a problem. When we look at our past, we look at that as a problem. When we look at ourself, we look at that as a, as a problem. And it's just like the self is moving, got one problem, and it's just carrying it and then putting it onto something else and something else. Then we say, my life is full of problems. 
one has the impression one's life is full of problems. One has the idea there's lots of problems in one's life. One believes it. One thinks it's the real world. Try having a problem without impressions. Sometimes we say, another person is reporting today, it seems like the feeling and the sense of I gets into all of this very, very strongly. So sometimes when there's a lot going on, and I think the mind is having, and the mind is having a hard job sorting it out, it can be, and it's a kind of short therapy as it were, to just to write it out what the heck is going on. Get some pens and paper or whatever, have some uh, uh, outlet, because sometimes things are inwardly in the meditation in the day are so close to one, one is trying to be clear about something in the same way as having one's hands right in front of the face and so I want to really see the palm nice and clearly. No wonder it's all black. There isn't the inner space to say, what's actually here? What are the impressions I'm carrying? And sometimes, in some situations, it will require from us, what way can I look at something completely differently from what is familiar? What way, which is problematic, which is arising in your day here, rather than just relying totally and just observing and just being mindful as some kind of cure for all human difficulties, what ways can I attend, look differently? At anything which is, appears to be problematic. That movement, I referred to it a day or two, uh, two uh, ago, is the movement which is shifting out of the conditioned self. The self doesn't know much else than what impacts on it. Called conditioning, called past, called old impressions, called typical ways of looking, including habits and tendencies and addictions and patterns and the way the mind is constructed, etc., etc. All very complicated language, so we call it the self. So if you notice during your days here, that you are going on, around and around and around, the same old thing, which is as bad as those poor um, animals, those poor rats and mice that they use in these experiments on the, on the wheel. One's going over and over something again and again. The observation may require what is a completely new way, utterly unfamiliar to me, which is the self, the me, to view. Utterly unfamiliar. The familiar isn't working. Because it's so damn familiar. Yesterday in uh, Shada's talk, uh, she um, 
referred to this uh, story of um, five chapters of a person's life. The story of the going down the road and jumping in the hole, etc. And I can't quite remember the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the details of it. But anyway, when walks down the hole and walks down the road, jumps in the hole, I've been here for ages, uh, etc. And then... <laughs> so, it, so, it, so it goes on. And, and then one walks around the hole, and then one goes down another road, uh, etc. And I... This is kind of oversimplification of a... <laughs> of a profound story about the self. And I had commented once, after listening to this story, that it's an, um, a nice story. <laughs> but from a kind of Buddhist bodhisattva kind of viewpoint, the first thing you do is to go back and cover the bloody hole up. <laughs> Stop other poor devils dropping into it, etc. Yeah. Or you could take a, a non-dual view, uh, view of it. Fifth chapter, you walk down the road, and then you come, come back and you, and you jump in the hole and you say, fine, what's wrong with the hole? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so sometimes the self has one way of looking, and it seems reasonable and practical, and it's a sweet, nice uh, little story. But sometimes we also just good just to look outside the story uh, uh, a little bit and say, well, there's another way of looking at this. Life includes jumping in holes, etc. etc. So, in sometimes finding ourselves in the hole, in the difficulty, whatever uh, it, it, it might be. One of the things which is in there is that maybe in that uh, hole that we find ourselves, maybe there's a depth to it. And one says that too. I'm in such a deep mess in my life. I've got myself in such deep difficulties, etc. So one's been doing all this practice for all these years, trying to go really deep, One's got oneself into a deep mess of a situation, one ought to be feeling very gratitude about it. I've really hit something really deep. I'm in a really deep hole at this point in my life. And sometimes, in all of, all of that, there is something profound about it. It can be taken seriously and invaluably. And as one person uh, uh, reported in, uh, 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 was saying to, uh, to me earlier on today, that going through a period of a very intense restlessness, being very agitated and just wanting to, on a previous retreat, wanting to get the hell out of here as quickly as, uh, as uh, possible, and was going to ask a Barrytown council to Re, re, rename the street Profoundly Unpleasant Street. 
and and then with with the uh, and then one of the uh, teachers uh, come come coming here, uh, the person was sitting in the retreat with uh, the teacher said, "Why don't you just go back to the meditation cushion and really sit, really sit." with this experience of restlessness. Don't buy it. Don't identify with it. Just really sit with it. Really feel this experience. And in good spirit, and in good faith, that's what the person did. And after a period of time of sitting, all that restlessness just evaporated. All that was going on, on all the impressions and the ideas and the views and the agitated and the unsettled self and all the discontent and all all that was bubbling up in uh, there, it just vanished. It just disappeared. And the person said to me today, the person felt a really deep sense of, words were, unshakable peace. So sometimes... In the midst of things, when we're in a dark hole or in a difficult uh, uh, situation and it feels strong and it feels deep, it may have the potential, no guarantees, but it may have the potential for us to really be deep and transform that depth into something which is beautiful to know, beautiful to experience and beautiful to have contact with. So even though the state of mind and the description uh, of it is difficult to attend to and have to deal with, yet in the very event itself, there's an extraordinary potential. Sometimes we uh, enter into these situations and as another person reported, we can do the practices, and a number of you had a lot of exposure to the Dharma for years, and we may have a kind of subtle habit of the self, and the subtle habit of the self is, humanly enough, to think of the benefit that I might get from being here. It may not be any put into any kind of specific goal-orientated, this is what I want from these days here. But the self has an interest in getting something for itself out of the experience. And this, as one person reported, was a view that she's uh, carried or held for a number of years, I think 10 or 11 years, the years that were mentioned. And others, humanly enough, will carry and bring into it, consciously or unconsciously, that view. What will come from being here for myself? Something I need to give to myself, to do for myself. So the self is right in there and is regarded as the primary beneficiary of the commitment and the dedication to being here. 
out of that, you may conclude at the end of the number of days here, either at the time of being here or in some reflection afterwards, this is how I benefited from it, this is what it gave me, it lasted this amount of time or it lasted the rest of my life or whatever. And then, again, easy thing is to be thinking in terms of what is coming for me from this. What would you do if you were to change your way of looking? What would it be to be here and not consider at all in that way? How would it affect your day? Not what benefit or what I need to see or feel or experience or achieve or arrive at or accomplish or get to or whatever. Just not for oneself, not having that as any reference point. How would we, how would we feel about it? So that the self, the sense of I and my, is not, so to speak, being put forward as the beneficiary. Sometimes the feeling and the sense and the experience and even the language may start to change. We may need to give ourselves some reflection on that. Nothing for me. Nothing for the self to gain. Nothing to be had from all of this. It would take a certain faith, a certain trust, a different kind of sense of presence of life. And it might, it might, as it were, shrink a little bit the interests of the self. Because there's nothing to be gotten for it. How would we experience life if we didn't have the interests of the self at the centre? It might bring out something quite sweet and beautiful out of us. It might give us access not to the known, which is what the self knows, conditioning, patterns, views. It might give us access to something unknown. We may not be sure how it works or how it happens, but we are willing to say, this for the self, perhaps there is a bigger picture. And I don't get so preoccupied with myself and what I'm getting from this. Maybe that access to something other, which is unknown, can actually influence beautifully my inner life.
Sometimes we have a view, it's, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a common view, it's a cultural view, and etc. That all problems of life are resolved by attending to them. Oh no, they're not. Every time a situation arises there and it's problematic, we think sometimes we can only resolve it by going to it. We've been somewhat schooled in the um, observe and attack methodology. <laughs> Got to get to grips with it. But sometimes, something else changes a problem to the degree that it gets dissolved. Without, this is the wonderful thing of life, without having to work on it. We have become such slaves to working on ourselves, apart from working on everything else. We've become such slaves to this idea. We don't think anything in life which is truly profound and meaningful can be discovered unless we really work for it. We're convinced of it. We've been programmed by the politicians, the economists, everybody's telling it. You've got to work, you can't get anywhere in life, you've got to work for it. What would it be just to sit and walk here? Not keep working on things, working on the self all the time. Can be so exhausting and tiring. One more thing to have to do. Would it be to have a, as I said earlier, a different kind of sense, in which possibly that which is unknown and unfamiliar transforms the all too known and the all too dreadfully familiar. Spiritual teachings do try again and again to remind us of this. So even when we turn our attention to it, we say, oh, I've got this issue, I've got to sort it out, I need to write it out, as I said earlier on, very practical. I need to look at it, very practical. I need to ask myself other ways of looking at this situation, very practical. Where from is all of that willingness to look coming from? Where does that come from? If you and I are willing, using the appropriate method and technique, to really allow ourselves, during our days here, to do something very beautiful for life, learn to be at ease with it. If we really are willing to really learn, practice, to be at ease with it, while staying connected with life, Maybe through that at easeness and connected with it, maybe that which is unknown can 
fill our existence. And therefore, transform the unhappiness, the depression, the weight, the anxiety, the panic attacks, the difficulties, the anger, the judgments, and all the things that you report and we see. Maybe it can be transformed through just saying, learning to be at ease with it. Somebody put on the notice board, I saw, not, I don't think the teachers did because of their handwriting, something like, what was the words? Remember, it's okay. If we were just to take that one-liner and let that run to a deep place in our being, our life would never be the same. You wouldn't have to buy all these books these meditation teachers are writing. <laughs> you just need one good one-liner to run deep. To give it a chance to go deep. And sometimes in life, in our receptivities, in our being at ease, when things run deep, just the one-liner, it will be the wisdom that dissolves the deep problems. Sometimes in the very midst of difficulty, my goodness, human beings can be subject to difficulty at every level and much of it is never our fault. Even in the midst of it, when all hell is breaking loose inside, sometimes there is an inner response which says, it's not that bad really. That's the one-liner of remembering it's okay. Right in the thick of it, the wisdom can come through. We just want to make that wisdom so abundantly clear in our life, it dissolves all the problematic self. We do not have to live unhappily, no matter what. So our meditations, our sitting and our walking and our standing and our reclining and our day acknowledges the self its conditioned patterns and the way it is formed and shaped. We explore and we bring to awareness to see whether we have to keep looking in terms of what's in it for me. We see if we can quietly put that aside. And maybe that will open the doors up. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see outside the conditioned self. May all beings experience freedom 
and natural happiness with daily life. So we'll have a couple of quiet minutes together. <coughs>